man, if we are groping around in darkness in this earth, it is today, in the 21st century. And so we need the light of your word, the life of your presence. We need you. And Lord, it's just with great humility and gratitude we receive the hundreds of souls that are in this room that belong to you, God. These are God's children that are here, whether they're seven or 70 years old. Each one is a made in the image of God, loved by God. You're wanting to walk with each one closely. You know, you know every wound, every wound of rejection. You know every fear. You know every place of unbelief and confusion. And God, you're wanting to minister to each one this morning a word of life, a word of hope, a word of faith. And so that's what we ask to happen this morning as we are together in Jesus' name. Amen. What we want to look at this morning is what attitudes and actions is God wanting to put in us as the harbor starts year seven? Come on, there we go. Yeah, sounds like a good biblical number to me, doesn't it? Seven? This thing should take off now, should it not? But in order for it to happen... There's a few attitudes and actions that God is after in us. Okay? I want to begin by looking at Nick Vujicic. Okay? Australian, born, Serbian man. 1982, he was born with no arms and no legs. His mom was not even able to hold him at first because she was so sad. And nothing in the sonograms up till his delivery showed it, they didn't catch it. No arms, no legs. They were unprepared. And as Nick shares his story around age 8 and 10, just so depressed that he tried to drown himself in his own bathtub because he just couldn't take the loneliness, the isolation, and the despair. But somewhere in there, because of his godly parents... God got a hold of his life. And God did it through a scripture, John 9. Some of you are familiar with that passage. It's where some followers of Jesus saw a blind man. And they said to Jesus, because the understanding then was, if something's wrong with you or you're not blessed, then you must be not obedient to God. So the disciples asked, whose sin caused this guy to be blind? Was it his parents' sin or was it his And Jesus said, hey, guys, it's actually neither. But this guy's been born blind so that the work of God could be displayed in his life. And Nick Nick took that to heart. He took that to heart and he said, there's got to be something for me in this life. He became kind of the president of his class in high school in Australia. And since then, he's become the leader of a ministry called Life Without Limbs. He started speaking at age 19, and now that he's 31 years old, he's accomplished more than many of us ever will in our lives in terms of speaking in front of hundreds, thousands, even packed stadiums about the glory of God in his life. And regarding perseverance, he says, if one more person comes to Christ, then it's all worth it. Though he lives with a terrible suffering every day, he's got sneakers in his closet because he's waiting for God to give him legs. And regarding his service to God, he says, if God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then God can certainly use any willing heart. 
Pretty powerful, huh? He's married now. He actually just had a kid, which is great, because, you know, when you look at him, you don't know what's there, what's not, but he, he has it all. Praise the Lord. I'm just, I don't know. That's, those are things that I think, okay? I'll just, just let you in. But there's an attitude there. There's an attitude that Nick has that I think God wants to do in us. Now, listen, we started this thing six years ago. We didn't say, hey, let's get a group of people together. Let's just have a good church. We started a dream. And we said, what if there was a church among other churches on the North Shore where people were coming to Christ weekly? What if there was a church where people were on life-on-life discipleship? Each one was being made mature in Christ because they were in small group or they had discipleship relationships were life-giving and authentic and wonderful. What if... Prayer was a joy and a privilege. So when we call a prayer meeting, people come full of faith because they know that God changes things. What if the church was a place where relationships were restored, where marriages were restored, where friendships got restored, people got healed and delivered to the stuff that was hurting them? What if that happened? And we also dreamed, what would happen if the church started to impact society as it has in many ways and many times in the past? What if our church was so rich in the theater arts and the visual arts and the performing arts that soon that, those communities of people were touched by what we were doing? What if we had a small business or an entrepreneurial engine that works that we could raise up businesses that walked in the fear of the Lord? What if the city of Beverly came to us for help, not saying in a power way, but because we have the answers? The church is God's plan A for the world. What if we had a drug rehab center with kind of full life discipleship? What if we did tutoring for the underserved and the struggling? What if when people were in crisis in their pregnancy, they came to us and said, help me, what should I do? Should I have this child or should I not? So again, as we begin year seven and we re-up these dreams, we say, God, what attitudes and actions do you want to put in us so we can see this thing happen? I don't want to just do church. I want to see societal change. That's our end goal. Here we are at year seven, and there's no reason why I'm thinking by year 10, we can be making major impact societally here, right? We do it on a small scale here, right? When the school has a problem, they call us. Can you help us paint this? Can you help us clean these windows? Can you help us do this or that? That's great. This is one elementary school. The last time I checked, there's 40,000 people in Beverly, 700,000 in Essex County, 95 to 99% do not have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We got a job to do, don't we, church? Come on. So what's the attitude that God's after? Look with me at Luke 7. Look with me at Luke 7, and we'll see what is the attitude that God is after for us. One of the attitudes, I'll say. Luke 7, we're going to start in verse 36. Look along with me in your Bible. Otherwise, you can look up at the screen, and we have the NIV here. Actually, do me a favor. Let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. Let's all read it out loud together from the screen, okay? Let's read this all together out loud from the screen. Read with me. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Ding, ding, ding. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Ooh, amen. You may be seated. What's the attitude that God's after? Let's walk through. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We are early in Jesus' ministry. We're in a town about nine miles southeast of Nazareth called Nain. And man, if you look at Google Maps today, I bet a whole lot has not changed in these last 2,000 years. A little settlement there. Now, in this town, Jesus had been doing the Jesus thing. He had been irresistibly wonderful. He looked on compassion um, at a widow who had lost her only son, right? Who was probably that widow's, besides her just whole source of emotional hope, her only source of economic hope, really. And Jesus raised this kid from the dead. This, would you say that again? <laughs> just, just wondering if anyone's here. Jesus raised this kid from the dead. Come on. The widow's pretty happy about that. And you would have been too. He had cured diseases. He had returned sight to the blind. And he had cast out evil spirits, right? Something that we're not as comfortable in the 21st century. But man, he had cast out evil spirits. And he'd also talked about John the Baptist. And he'd affirmed John the Baptist's ministry saying that the kingdom of God, as awesome as John the Baptist was, that the kingdom of God was open really to anyone. And I think this sinful woman, this woman who clearly had been a woman of the evening, you know, the oldest trade around, she had been a prostitute, somehow, being around the town, she had encountered this man. And she had sensed and been drawn to this irresistible grace This love, this favor, this love of God had gotten to her. She she had figured it out. And a Pharisee had said, I want to find out more about this guy. Now, I know we're kind of trained. If you've grown up in the church, Pharisee, you know, we think bad right right away. But hey, we, we have to get out of the black and white and put some depth to this guy. Pharisees, I mean... At their inception, it was a good deal. They had a heart for the purity of God. 
they had a heart for the law. They wanted God to be upheld. And in the face of a culture that was increasingly secular or turning away from God, they had a desire for purity. So when we get to Simon the Pharisee here, I think, not a bad guy, but someone who yet Jesus is after one more thing in his heart. He's got one other deal he needs to do here with Simon the Pharisee. Let's continue, 37, 38. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, okay, a prostitute in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, kind of got to wrestle with this picture here. Remember, if Jesus is sitting at the table. It's not like Chipotle where you get a high, high stool, but he's reclining at the table. Table's low. And um, it says that she stood behind him, but at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Well, that's a little awkward. She's wetting his feet with her tears. She's wiping them with her hair. She's kissing his feet and pouring out this alabaster jar of perfume on him. Just an extravagant display of love and affection. And over the top, you know, a little bit awkward PDA, right? I mean, it is just over the top. Now, a woman who lives a sinful life, I don't think she gets there overnight, right? We have to assume that a woman who has, instead of kind of done the more respectable thing, especially in that time of raising kids, having her own family, being married, I can imagine there's some serious brokenness here, right? This woman is hurting, covered in shame, especially in that culture, um, wounded. And I think she's just at her breaking point. You know, as, as we like to say around here, people don't really start to grow until they hit rock bottom. And I think she's hit rock bottom. She knows her life is not what she wants to be. Probably so full of self-hatred. And then she meets love himself and has to get near him. Drawn by this irresistible love of Jesus. Now that alabaster jar of perfume... Represented a lot of things. As, so, as some Bible commentators have suggested, she probably got that from one of her Johns. Probably one of the men who paid for her services gave it to her. But it's a lot. It represents financial security for her. It could represent her way out of this life. It's with an alabaster jar of perfume that she could give a dowry to someone who would, if there was anyone who would, marry her. So we have to understand the sacrifice that's going on here. Any hope that she has for the future, she's pouring out on Jesus because she's been so touched by his irresistible love and grace. And now we hone in on Simon the Pharisee, which I'm just going to say right off the bat, man, if there's someone I relate with in this story, truly, it's Simon, it's the Pharisee. Remember, this guy is all for purity. He's all for the law of God. He's all for God not having a blemish on his character. What do we hear in verse 39? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he's like, please, Jesus. He said to himself, huh, if this man were any sort of prophet. He just heard, all right, dead guy got raised, few sick healed. All right, now he's at my house, now I get to know this guy. And he says, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. And hear that, hear the contempt even in touching. Ugh. 
You know, he would know who's touching him. Great sense of what's clean and unclean in this Jewish culture, right? Man, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know, last week, when we were talking about why God had let us be here for six years as the harbor, I mentioned a man named Adam Brown, a, a Navy SEAL, who really had a hard time in his college years, just went down the tubes with drugs. And the thing that I mentioned was, if I had met Adam Brown when he was in his darkest of dark days, when he was, as we like to say here from Isaiah 42, totally a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, if I had met Adam Brown in his darkest day, I probably would have filled with contempt with him, towards him. I would have been like, dude, get your life together. But we learn from Isaiah that the character of Jesus is one who a bruised reed he doesn't break and a smoldering wick he won't put out. And man, is it coming through here in Luke 7. This woman is a bruised reed. She's a smoldering wick. Jesus isn't going to snuff her out. But I would have been just like Simon the Pharisee saying, Oh, Jesus, don't you realize this woman who's touching you? Unclean. Irreligious. She's blown her life. And now we get to 40 to 43. And this is where I just go, Jesus, you are such an awesome teacher. Jesus, you are such an awesome teacher. Listen to this. Jesus answered him, I love that. I don't know if Jesus just kind of heard him muttering. I don't know if he could read his mind, which does happen in scriptures a lot with Jesus. I don't know exactly how that went. I would have loved to have been there. But Jesus says, verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. you um, sorry, let me get that. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, right? Simon understands the whole rabbi thing. Jesus is a rabbi. I got some disciples. Two men... Oh, man, this is just so good. And the reason it's good, I'll get there, I will read it. But the reason it's so good is Jesus could have just said, Hey, Simon, don't you get it that this woman responding to my love is way better than your self-righteous attitude right now? He could have just said that and backed away. But instead, Jesus is going for maximum impact. He wants to give Simon an opportunity to respond. And here's, here's how he does it. Just like he wants to give you and me today. An opportunity to respond because our hearts are religious and hard too much. At least mine is. He says, hey, let me tell you a story. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Maybe we could say, well, if you make 48K a year, let's say 72K. $72,000, let's say. A year and a half of salary. Now, this other one owed 50 denarii. 50 days worth of wages, let's see. Let's say, you know, almost two, two months worth of wages. Let's say $8,000, right? So someone owes $72K, one owes $8K. One's like a school debt, one's a credit card debt. How's that? Put it in perspective there. <laughs> you can all repent now for having 8K of credit card debt. I'll help you. We'll, we'll walk you through that. All right. <clears throat> so neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon. Wise man, smart man says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You, Jesus said, have judged correctly. You have judged correctly. Jesus is giving Simon the Pharisee, a man who probably has influence and power, a chance to learn a lesson here. Because yes, while the kingdom of God is for the poor, 
Man, when God gets a hold of someone who's influential in his life, that's powerful too. And I call to mind the movie that Kelsey and I finally watched a couple of nights ago. We finally watched Amazing Grace. It's the story of William Wilberforce. Do you remember him? Man, as a teenager, he had been influenced by the Methodist movement. His parents were strict Anglicans, so kind of think high church. But this fire was sweeping across England. People were getting revived in their hearts by John Wesley and the Methodist movement. He had been with some of those relatives of his. But as a young man, he finds his father passed away, and he finds an uncle passed away, and he's got an incredible inheritance. He's a wealthy man. Kind of in the older teen years, young 20s, he's kind of lived the social life. He's very witty. He enjoys life. But then at 26, God gets a hold of his life, and he realizes a call on his life is to become a member of parliament, an MP, and fight for justice, for this awful thing called the middle passage, right? That middle of the triangular trade there, where humans, African-Americans, Af- sorry, not Americans, they're just African. America was just born right then, about 1776, sorry. But Africans, human cargo, dying, awful conditions. I mean, just probably humanity's a dark moment for us, right? And saying, hey, someone's got to stand up for this. My point That Jesus wants to give Simon the Pharisee, an influential person, a chance to repent. Because, man, that can be powerful. Can it not? Could he be doing the same thing with some of you in our midst? I believe with all my heart. we got some William Wilberforces in here. And God's trying to get a hold of your life through this message, even with Simon here. So, Jesus makes his lesson more complete here. He turned toward the woman, 44. Said to Simon, do you see this woman? I know it's really awkward, Jesus is saying, but check this out. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which had been very normal then because we had sandals on. It's dusty. There's poop in the street. So it's very normal to wash. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. That's not a weird thing. That's, you know, the air kisses. If you've been to France or Spain or Italy, it's just a normal greeting, right? My time in France was always spent figuring out, you know, Normandy, it's like two kisses. Paris is three. And then south of France, there over the top, it's four. So I have to go back and forth, all right? It's a great cultural lesson to learn. <clears throat> Anyways, the guy didn't kiss him. It's not a weird thing. It's just a normal greeting. But she has. You did not put oil in my head. Again, that would have been a very nice gesture. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you. Here's the key. Therefore, I tell you. Her many sins have been forgiven. I love how the new NIV has put it. As her great love has shown. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Okay? Jesus has enumerated all the ways that she has served him with an overflowing, outpouring of grateful love. She's been loving him a lot. But Simon, you haven't been moved by that love. Okay? It's, please hear this. She is not trying to earn. It's very clear. It's, she's not trying to earn the love of God. She's not in her shame and unworthiness trying to earn that love. But because she has been touched by this irresistible man, she is overflowing with the love and gratefulness, an incredible attitude of gratitude, like Nick Vujicic has now in his life, like God wants to do here at the harbor with every single one of us. Amen? We need an attitude of gratitude. And God is giving Simon a chance here. It may seem like he's a little harsh, but it's because he wants to give Simon a chance too. You too can have this attitude of gratitude, Simon. When you realize how much you've been forgiven. Amen? Okay. Now, this is the attitude that God is after. 
So the question we have today is, what about the action? How do we, how do I get to wipe the feet of Jesus with my tears and my hair? How do I get to pour out something that's very valuable to Jesus? How do I give my life, my hope, my future? What's my alabaster jar that I get to give to Jesus on a daily basis? There are many ways, but I'm going to suggest and focus on one today. And that one that I want to focus on today for us as a church as we enter our seventh year is one way that you can wash the feet of Jesus, one way that you can wipe his feet with your hair and pour out your whole life service and offering to him is by serving one another, by serving the local church. In Acts 9, Paul made it really clear, sorry, God made it clear to Paul that when Paul was persecuting his people, he was persecuting him. And so I would say, so when we serve one another, we are serving him. And Jesus makes that very clear, does, it, does he not? In Matthew 24, he says, hey, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. In John 13, his last night with his friends, he says, hey guys, does another great object lesson, not too dissimilar from this. And he says, wash one another's feet. The world's going to know that you're my followers if you love one another. So I want to call you to service today. Not out of a need to just be a cog in the machine. Not because God doesn't care about you individually. On the contrary, God very much cares for you. It's why he invites you in to service. And you know, the church is a really good investment. Can I just say that? We've been around for about 1,980 years. And guess what? Civilizations fail. I don't know. Maybe in our lifetime, the United States will crumble. I hope not. But man, the foundations are shaking. Are they not? But the church is going to last forever. The church will last into heaven. Amen? Jesus said to Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Have we had a few dark moments? You know we have. Am I proud of 800 AD when Charlemagne is baptizing people at sword point? That's a low for the church. 1200 when we got the crusades going and Pope Urban II and Bernard of Clairvaux are calling people to give their lives. And, and, you know, since the crusades, we've had this terrible division in the church and just great enmity with the Muslims. Now, to be fair, if you were alive in that time, you might have been a crusader too, okay? Militant Islam was on the... Anyways, we're going to go into that right now. But my point is, this church, from its conception, is a volunteer organization, and it's, it's going to the end. It's a great, great thing to be a part of. Now, the great thing is it's different from any volunteer organization because it's got the Spirit of God. And I want to call to mind, just real quick, I want to look at one prophet. His name is Haggai. And I want to bring you back to 500 B.C., Okay. And uh, the people of God were coming back from Babylon. They had been exiled. Now they're coming back. And it's time to rebuild this thing. Okay? Economic problems. Uh, Everyone's kind of worried about getting their own stuff together. But man, the word of the Lord comes. And frankly, I think it is a word for us also. Let's put Haggai up there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Hey, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. Anyone feel that way? Like you're just forehead against the the wall. You're trying to move forward in your life, but things aren't happening. 
You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, you're not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up in these mountains, bring down timber, build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Ooh, why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. I want to just give a contemporary picture for us today. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to this church called Hunger Mountain Christian Assembly. My friend Jonathan Frizz and I, he's a great prayer warrior and champion for prayer in New England. We went to a Vermont pastor's prayer. And I love being in this little church. Who's been to the um, Ben and Jerry's factory? Anyone been there? Gotten your free little Ben and Jerry's? Good deal. Now, up the road from Ben and Jerry's is this little church called Hunger Mountain. That's kind of cool. Hunger Mountain, Ben and Jerry's. Hmm, how that goes together. And we had our prayer meeting, and then afterward we had lunch, and I was just sitting with Tony. Tony's this really wonderful uh, Italian man asking about his church. They had just done a beautiful building project. And as I looked around the church, it just seemed there was a lot of breadth and a lot of depth to what was going on in that ministry. So I said, so Tony, what are we talking about here? 200, 250 people? He said, we have 100. And I just can't get the picture of Hunger Mountain Christian Assembly out of my mind because something in that people had clicked where everyone knew that they were a part of the family, right? Everyone knew that they had something to give. Everyone sacrificed for the greater good. Now, I want, you to make, I want to make sure, especially you guys who are new, that you hear my heart. When I talk about, in the fine detail, things that we need to do to have the harbor rock and roll, it's not because I'm trying to build my kingdom here or our little one. It's actually the opposite. It's because, remember, the goal here is societal impact. But we can't get to societal impact until this thing is running well. And God is a God who does faithful and little. Well, we're faithful and little. He wants to give us more. You know what I'm saying? So let me just give an example. I need a sinful woman, overwhelmed with gratitude, filled with the Holy Spirit parking attendant. You know why? Because if every Sunday there's one or two people that can't find a parking spot here because we don't have anyone manning, out, manning it there, over the course of the year, we lose 100 families who could have been involved in what God's doing here. And that bugs me. Because of the other numbers that are in my head. 40,000 in Beverly. A three quarters of a million in Essex County. Who need to be touched with the grace of God. So I need someone who will put on an orange vest. With an attitude of gratitude. Saying I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy Jesus loves me. I'm happy to do this. And I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to pour my tears on Jesus' feet. I'm going to pour my alabaster jar of perfume on him. By donning an orange vest. And getting our parking squared away here at the harbor. Do you hear me? Okay is anyone here today? Thank you, Lord. We want to go towards societal impact, and it starts with faithfulness in little. Amen? The attitude is an attitude of gratitude, and the action is one of, Lord, use me wherever I'm needed. All right? And generally speaking, very practically, I'm going to ask for maybe one Sunday out of four, okay, where you give up a little sleep and a little Starbucks, and you help us out. Okay? Let me get real practical. Some of these guys you've seen are, are just, it's not a new fashion statement. They just have some letters on their on their shirts, why don't you guys come on up here? Let's put up this other slide. And then we're going to rock and roll here. <coughs> Amen. Come on up. we got different volunteers here. And what I want to invite you into is, here are some possible ways you can serve. All right? And these folks, 
as well as some others, are going to be in the back of the church as we finish today. And if, as I mentioned, an area of service where you are interested in, you just see the person and then you find them at the end of the service in the back there. Okay? And you tell them just what you're interested in. You're not signed on any dotted line. Just find out more about it is the deal. All right. Wow, that's easy to see. Praise the Lord. I made that. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Uh, yeah, our uh, negative point two font here. All right. Let me go around here. Adults and family section. Man, I've already sent you guys a Vimeo. And I've said, please, we need, we need these faith group leaders. We need you to lead some of these small groups. Ahoy. And so actually, uh, for the faith groups, um, Emily Hartley, where are you? Is Emily here? Emily, come on up. Don't be shy. You guys give it up for Emily. Come on. Okay. So if you're one of our faith group leaders or interns-to-be, then you come on up and um, you visit with Emily here. Okay, Emily, raise it high. Okay, there you go. Faith group leaders. All right. Ahoy. It's our kids' ministry. Who? There we go. My wife. <laughs> Hannah. My daughter. Okay. Uh, youth volunteers. Where's Lauren? Okay, if you're interested in youth, there's Lauren. You want to talk to her. College. All right, we've got, um, John has got a great strategy here with discipleship. We've got D leaders. And who's meeting? Okay, Puzzes. You want to meet with them? And then huh, we had a great problem this morning. We had like 50 people wanted to come to the harbor. We couldn't get them in cars fast enough. So we got drivers. Where's Jesse? All right, that means if you're a non-college student. College students, you want to fill your car every Sunday. But for the non-college students, and you, let's say you just come to church here, and uh, you got three seats in your car, no more. Okay, you're going to... You're going to visit with Jesse, and we're going to fill those three, all right? Good. Okay, in the whole communications department, I need graphic designers. We need PowerPoint projection people to run this. We need some... Who, who tweets out there? Any Twitters? Tweeters? All right. So first, you're going, to, you're going to join at Harbor CF today. You're going to join at Neil Hubacher. And then we'll get you tweeting for the church and for the glory of the Lord. How's that? All right? Amen. Okay, video producers, webmasters. Uh, we need some of you guys to help us out. Hardest one to see, biggest need. Sunday ops here. Let's, let's figure this out. All right, greeters. Uh, that's me. Okay, so you're going to come see me. <laughs> okay, I, man, I die a thousand deaths when, when at the cafeteria. All we have is some donuts and all the healthy people are dying out there. We need someone to work with hospitality. That's me. All right, so you're going to come, come and talk to me with hospitality. Parking. Holy Ghost parking people. All right, you're going to come talk to me. All right, <laughs> visitors. There you go. Visitor hosts. Kathy, if you want to help welcome new people, you, you can do that. Talk to Kathy. Um, and the sanctuary, where's Josh Booth? Josh, come on, man. I need you. I need you. I need you. Here we go. Look at, he's washing some feet with, he's, look at. Here comes his alabaster jar. Actually, all these things that I keep saying me, you're actually going to go to Josh, okay? Josh Booth, all these Sunday operations things like greeters, hospitality, parking attendants, visitors is Kathy, but then we need some interior designers for our sanctuary. We need some, uh, we need, and the Sunday service teams, okay, those guys help us set up, that's holy. We got actually four teams, so where's team one? There we go. First Sunday of the month, you're here. Team two, second Sunday of the month, you come. Third Sunday of the month, you come. Liz, yeah, sorry, Evie, Kate, and Anders, in for Matt Schilling. Matt Schilling. There we go. <laughs> one out of every four Sundays, you come, you help, and uh, you do chairs, okay? And then worship, we got Matt, big W. You wondered why he had a W when you were, when you were singing today. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, we got limited spots for musicians, but we definitely sound tech and um, performing visual arts. You know, um, on, depending on different Sundays, different things we're doing, uh, we, we bring them. Sorry, sound tech is right here, Brandon. O stands for sound tech, okay? Sunday ops. Oh, Sunday ops, okay, thank you. Ops, okay. Look at, watch out, man. 
<laughs> watch out for Brandon. He's, that's what I'm just saying. Just watch out, okay? I'll just I'll say that. All right. All right. Give these guys a round of applause. Thank you, guys. When, when God built the temple, when God built the tabernacle, he did it with great detail. So God is a God of detail. We need our systems to work. The glory is coming, but in order for us to handle the glory, we need to have good systems. I need you to be a part of our systems. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him and get the attitude of gratitude on. Jenna, come on up. We're going to worship a song. And after that song, as you make your way out, we've got donuts left. We've got teams here that you want to sign up for or be a part of. If you're a visitor, I'll meet you out there. I don't know how I'm going to do all these things at once. Okay, they'll take you. I'm going to meet the visitors out there. All right. Praise the Lord. You guys stand up. Let's say thank you, Jesus. Oh, my word. That's, that clock is lying. I repent. I repent. We're trying to end this service at 44, and we're at 48, and I'm bad. But honestly, this clock says, says 39 right now. It's 37? Come on. We got a new watch. Forget that. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. And Jesus, most of all this morning, we, we look at that woman called out of her life. Um, and haven't you done the same thing with us, Lord? Aren't you doing the same with us this morning, God? You're calling us out of our lives of darkness, our, our kind of our, our reprobate thinking, our, our, our darkness and our sin. And Lord, you're just lavishing the mercy of God on us. Oh God, that you'd find in us the same attitude of the sinful woman overflowing with passion for Jesus, willing to give up our security and our future and everything just for the glory of God, for worshiping you. Lord, we're going to start that right now. Even as we worship in this song together, we say, Lord, take it all. Have it all once again, Lord Jesus. Man, Lord, we just we know that some of the most miserable people are these Christians with one foot in the world and one foot in you. It really is all or nothing. And we say, Lord, we're in with you. We're in with you. All that you'd have us do, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's worship him.